0: Welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, 34 year law enforcement veteran, the founder of the Wounded Blue, which is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled officers, the uh, author of A Cop's Life and the soon to be released Rescuing 911 The Fight for America's Safety. And uh, on this show, this is all about the mental, physical, and spiritual wellness and the um, the health of the American law enforcement community. Thanks for joining me here again today. And of course, on this show, uh, we are dedicated to the law enforcement community. We have a guest that's waiting in the wings, but before we get to him, we're going to do what I call our, well, it's actually our reality check where we pay homage to the men and women of the profession who have given their lives in the line of duty since our last show. And unfortunately, I have several names to read this week. The first is police officer Matthew Hare of the Easley Police Department in South Carolina. Police officer Matthew Hare was struck and killed by an Amtrak train near the 2000 block of East Main Street while attempting to pull a suicidal subject from the railroad tracks. The subject had called 911 at about 5 a.m. while suffering a mental crisis. Officer Hare and another officer located the subject on the tracks about 630 in the morning. Uh, The oncoming train was approaching. The officers were removing the subject from the tracks when Officer Hare was fatally struck. Neither the other officer nor the subject who called and was suicidal were struck. Officer Hare had only graduated from the police academy five months before. What a tragedy. Police Officer Matthew Hare, Easley Police Department, south carolina end of watch wednesday august 2nd 2023 the second is sergeant pedro torres santos of the trojillo alto municipal police department in puerto rico Sergeant Pedro Torres Santos was shot and killed in a targeted drive-by shooting as he stood in front of a store with other officers while working a secondary employment job. He and two other officers were standing in front of the store at the intersection of Highway 181 and Highway 851 in Trujillo Alto when a vehicle drove by and an occupant inside opened fire on them. All three officers were struck by the gunfire. Sergeant Torres Santos succumbed to his wounds and the other two officers were seriously wounded. The subjects in the car fled and remain at large. Sergeant Torres Santos has served with the Trajilo Alto Municipal Police Department for 27 years and was one of its first officers when the agency was formed. He is survived by his wife. Sergeant Pedro Torres Santos Trujillo Alto Municipal Police Department, Puerto Rico. End of watch Monday, July 21st, 2023. The next is Deputy Marshal Barry Giglio of the Villa Platt Marshals Office in Louisiana. Deputy Marshal Barry Giglio was shot and killed at about 8.30 p.m. while assisting the Evangeline Parish Sheriff's Office serve a warrant on West Beauregard Street. A subject at the residence opened fire on the officers, killing Deputy Marshal Giglio, critically wounding a sheriff's deputy before being shot and killed. Deputy Marshal Giglio had served with the Villa Platte Marshal's Office for 10 years and had previously served with the Evangeline Parish Sheriff's Office for 15 years. He is survived by his son and two granddaughters. Deputy Marshal Barry Giglio, Villa Platte Marshal's Office, Louisiana. End of watch Monday, July 31st, 2023. The next is Deputy Sheriff Alejandro Martinez, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, California. This is another heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. Deputy Sheriff Alejandro Martinez succumbed to injuries sustained on November 16th 2022 as he and other recruits from Academy class 464 ran in formation as part of their morning physical fitness routine the Academy class of 75 recruits was running in formation when an oncoming vehicle veered over into the veered over the center lane and struck the group near the intersection of Mills Avenue and Telegraph Road in Whittier a total of 25 recruits were struck and it, uh, that was before the vehicle came to a stop. 12 of the recruits suffered critical injuries and ended their careers. Deputy Martinez was sworn in as a sheriff's deputy. Two weeks after the incident, he remained hospitalized in critical condition until succumbing to his injuries eight months later. The driver who struck the group was initially charged with attempted murder of peace officers, but charges were dropped as the investigation continues. Deputy Martinez was a U.S. Army National Guard veteran, has served with the L.A. County Sheriff's for only eight weeks before he was killed. He is survived by his father and his sister. Deputy Sheriff Alejandro Martinez, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. End of watch Friday, July 28th, 2023. And another one. Hmm. Sergeant William Cherry making County Sheriff's Office Tennessee sergeant William Cherry was killed in a vehicle crash on Highway 10 near Long Creek Road at about 12 30 a.m he was traveling southbound when an oncoming truck crossed the center line and struck his patrol car head-on causing him to fu- suffer fatal injuries the other driver suffered severe injuries Neither Sergeant Cherry nor the other driver were wearing their seatbelts. Sergeant Cherry has served with the Macon County Sheriff's Office for five years and has served in law enforcement for more than 10. he previously served with the Red Bullying Springs Police. He is survived by his wife and children, Sergeant William Cherry, Macon County Sheriff's Office, Tennessee. End of watch Saturday, July 29th, 2023. and the last is lieutenant michael wood of the newberry police department in south carolina lieutenant mike wood was killed in a vehicle crash at the intersection of nance street and dixie drive while responding to a call his patrol car collided with a tractor trailer at the intersection lieutenant wood served with the newberry police for 20 years he is survived by his wife and children lieutenant michael wood newberry police department south carolina end of watch wednesday july 26 2023 each of these men gave their lives in the line of duty serving their communities may they rest in peace policing is increasingly dangerous now each week I read more names of officers who have given their lives in the line of duty. And that doesn't count the number of police officers who have been severely injured in the line of duty. We are now over 200 police officers this year alone getting shot. More than 200. That is an astounding number. And last year, more than 60,000 were physically assaulted in the line of duty. They were shot, they were stabbed, they were beaten, they were hit, they were punched, they were kicked. And just uh, today I was watching the news and saw that uh, a number of New York police officers were attacked during a riot in downtown Manhattan. And uh, it seems that as consequences diminish for criminality, the people on the front lines, your law enforcement community are facing more and more danger physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically. And uh, it's time that the community stood up for these men and women. That's what my new book is all about. And that book is rescuing 911 the fight for America's safety. It's a call to action. It's time for the silent majority to be silent. No more. It's time for us to band together to take the streets back to make our communities safe again. By putting people into positions of the elected officials who care about the communities, and it's a perfect segue into my uh, into my guest this week because uh, he's going to talk about um, what his future plans are. Um, my my friend Nick Wilson. Now, Nick, he was born and raised in California and uh since 2012 he's been a resident of district 53 demonstrating his deep connection to the community he's not a politician although he's planning on throwing his hat in the ring from what i understand he served as police officer for 13 years before medically being medically retired due to injury sustained in the line of duty his career included roles as a detective swat team operator field training officer and Homeland Security Task Force member. He's a, um, an investigator who handled uh, numerous complicated criminal activities and worked undercover as well. Uh, he is also the founder of a, of a um, very, very important well, law enforcement resource called the Resiliency Project. And uh, I'm gonna let him talk about that when he comes on. Nick, thanks for joining me here on uh, our show at the Wounded Blue Hour.
1: Randy, thank you so much for having me and thank you for all the work that you do. Um, It's incredible that uh, someone with your career uh, and your experience has dedicated so much to our law enforcement community. And I hope everyone reads your book uh, it's truly amazing. So thank you for having me.
0: No, it's a, it's a pleasure, Nick. So we, we got a lot to talk about. Um, first of all, I want the listeners and the viewers to get to know a little bit who Nick Wilson is. Let's talk about your growing up and your entry into the law enforcement world and why you chose law enforcement to be your career.
1: You know, I was a uh, just a kid in high school who was having a bad day and a police officer uh, in a small town that I was living in came up to me and asked me if I wanted to do a ride along. And so I did. And I loved the nobility of the profession. And I saw what the men and women of law enforcement do day in and day out. I became an explorer. I went to the academy when I was 20 and I came out and uh, had a really good career. But like you were talking about, Um, you know, there were a lot of physical injuries that I sustained in the line of duty and was dealing with the mental health impact of, uh, this profession. And, um, I ended up medically retiring after 13 years, but had a really, I really loved what I experienced in the job and connecting with people like you, uh, has been really amazing.
0: How big an agency did you work in? Well, how, how many officers?
1: It was, uh, it was about 80 officers, so it was a smaller agency uh, in Orange County, California. Uh, but definitely a very busy and violent city. And so, um, you know, grew up real quick and, and experienced a lot very
0: quick let's talk about your career i uh, i read that you know you done you did a number of assignments in your 13 years you did it a whole bunch of stuff so let's talk about what those assignments and the ones that w- what was your favorite assignment
1: i loved working dope i loved working gangs i loved working patrol patrol is where everything is where you know you really learn everything uh i and so for me that that's the backbone, I think of law enforcement, right. Uh, But my passion really grew into working, uh, organized crime, narcotic investigations, gang investigations, writing search warrants and working with investigators that taught me how to put a case together working with different allied agencies because we were a smaller agency that needed to work with other agencies in order to complete a case. So working with local state law uh, and federal law enforcement agencies, and seeing the outcome of those cases and, and, and those cases coming to fruition. So that crime victims were able to get the justice that they needed. You
0: know, Um, I, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you said that for crime victims to get the justice, because you know, as well as I do, that the term crime victim never even enters into the conversation any longer. With um, right. with the our, with the the elected officials um, that are in the major cities across America, you never hear the term about about the victims of crime. All you hear is that the victims are the criminals, are those who are literally preying on others. And I know that that has had an effect on you. Sure.
1: No, Randy. Look, we're dealing right now with. A very upside down version of reality, especially here in California and across other very uh, populated cities where uh, crime victims are placed second, where criminals are coddled, uh, and we're seeing a justice system that does not serve the people. It does not serve people who are actual crime victims. And so there's a huge push for decarceration. There's a huge push for, um, you know, you, you, you look at LA County and crime victims aren't, aren't even given advocates anymore, right? And so we know that there, and what does that do to the everyday police officer whose moral compass points towards justice and benevolence, right, where they want to see justice those that they are risking their lives every single day to protect it's absent and it's because of politics and it creates a sense of hopelessness for our cops who risk their lives every day for a community of absolute strangers
0: so you you literally you've been in the eye of the storm i mean in my in my role as a commentator on the news about law enforcement topics there are two there are three states that always come up in almost in competition for being more screwed up right california right. generally ranks as number 1 illinois and new york now there's some there are some pretty close second and thirds and fourth following right behind but you're literally in the eye of the storm when you were working as a cop you know, nothing happens overnight. It it begins with with uh, you know some rather innocuous changes. But um, how did how did you react when you began to see uh, some of the uh, political left's moves, like the certain propositions that were passed in the name of quote justice unquote, and were actually um, They were actually Trojan horses in disguise.
1: No, that's a great question. And I'm so glad, by the way, Randy, I I think that you're a true hero in the law enforcement community. And um, I'm glad that you're asking these questions. So I remember when AB 109 came to pass, which is the prison realignment, right? And so we saw a huge difference in uh, what we were able to do from a law enforcement community in terms of, actually arresting career criminal offenders okay and then there was prop 36 there was prop 47 there was prop 57 and you started to see over time the inability for law enforcement officers to do their jobs and this political push to call career criminal offenders and you started over time seeing so i medically retired in 2017 right on my back on my arm uh, we didn't have body cams, right. Uh, But there was a progression of of politics that started immersing themselves into this profession. And when I started the resiliency project, I was astounded at what we started seeing just like you are seeing on your end with the wounded blue, and everything that you do for the law enforcement community, where law enforcement officers really started getting handcuffed. Right? You, you know, uh it doesn't matter whether it's Prop thirty six, forty seven, fifty seven, A B one oh nine, now SB two in California, which is the decertification of law enforcement. There is an attack on law enforcement officers and there are so many contributing factors that prevent cops from now doing their jobs. Who would want to do their who would want to be proactive in an environment where they're constantly under assault? Where you know, you get into a use of force, and all of a sudden, you're uh, a headline on the news, where your entire everything that you built for yourself is under attack. Right? The agency now starts to conform to this political type of thing that we're seeing. And it's becoming very difficult. I remember now, you know, about a year ago, teaching at a very large agency, uh, it, it, teaching mental health to cops and the inability to talk to cops the way you and I know how to talk to cops to connect with cops when it comes to mental health, being censored, uh, not being able to say committed suicide, not being able to say. Wait, 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 wait. Uh,
0: hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Uh, you, you, you kind of got me. You kind of got me on this one. What do you mean you were not allowed to talk about? police suicide at a, at a a mental health training class.
1: Yeah. I was sent a, uh, words matters policy that said that I couldn't say committed suicide. I couldn't say drug abuse. I couldn't say, uh, there was a litany of things that I couldn't say. And when i go into a training class and i try to connect with cops because you and i both know that law enforcement suicide is an epidemic in this country right um albeit now that the politicians have made you know the defund movement such a popular movement and have catered so much to queer criminal offenders that they are attacking and killing you you cited that over 200 cops were shot in the line of duty i mean that's that's grotesque uh there's only one thing that can be attributed to that. And it's not because of the cops and their lack of training. It's because of a social political movement that has been anti law enforcement. Um, And so the inability to just connect with cops and talk to cops like you and I both know how to do, uh, I started getting censored. And I stopped being able to just talk and say normal things, normal words, and I saw then that there was a real problem. Uh,
0: you, are you, you really, you really got me on this one, Nick. I had no idea. So, was it the police agency? Uh, that you were that you were instructing for that gave you this, or was this some bizarre state of California edict? I mean, who, t- how the, how the hell could you possibly talk about mental health and law enforcement and not be allowed to say th- the
1: the most critical words about it? Who whose yeah. decision was that? Uh, so this came from a county department of behavioral health. Right? And I'm not even sure that the sheriff's department is aware uh, of this. But this came from the Department of Behavioral Health. uh, And this is now becoming an absolute trend in California. Uh, So it doesn't it doesn't matter, uh, you know, where you go to to host a, a law enforcement training class on mental health. If you don't buy into the idea that the state is pushing, where for me, my my whole uh, priority is to connect with cops. It is to prevent law enforcement suicide. Okay, the, what they're facing right now is absolutely unprecedented. Um, and so when my speech becomes restricted or I can't say certain things or agencies stop allowing me in because I don't buy into the notion that I can't just talk like you and I are talking right now, cop to cop, we have a real problem.
0: I'd have to say we have a real problem. Well, that, what that, here's what that tells me. That tells me that the ideologues are in charge. And they really uh, don't, they, they may say the words we care about our police, but in reality, they don't. And they are, they are utilizing their power to censor the truth about law enforcement mental health. So the very same people who are who are touting these training courses are the ones who are stifling the truth from people like you.
1: Yeah, Randy, think about it. If you and I walk in to any classroom, okay? Because people listen to you, okay? You're going to be able to connect. If you're experienced, you've got street cred, you are doing amazing things in the law enforcement community. If you can't walk in and just talk cop to cop on such an important issue as in terms of law enforcement, you may as well not not even be there. You may as well not even be there. What's the point? You and I have to break the stigmas and give permission to the cops to heal, right? So if I can't say, and and, I mean this is this is the policy right here, I can't say addict, I can't say (laughs) drug problem, drug habit, drug abuse, I can't say clean, dirty, I can't say committed suicide. Well, what are we doing? What is, what, is, what is this whole thing about under the idea of diversity, equity, inclusion? This isn't about diversity of thought. I thought this country was about creating a system where all men are created equal. We're digressing. We're not progressing. We're digressing.
0: You, you blew my mind on this one, buddy. You blew my mind on this one. We, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and i need to take my blood pressure medication but so, so we'll come back we'll come back in just a minute Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon
1: code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. out loud. With the rise of independent media, we are now America Out Loud. Dot news. Well, the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is We the People. AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all.
0: One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee, patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there uh John and his crew and they are amazing people the coffee is delicious you order it online they bring it right to your house you can get the ground coffee you can get beans I like to grind my own they've got uh, also got these uh you know the the containers that you put in your kerrig or whatever that thing is called so um One Nation Coffee go to OneNationCoffee.com order your coffee and uh you'll get great coffee and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue so uh go to onenationcoffee.com Well, you know, on this show, everything is about the mental, physical, um, psychological, spiritual health of our law enforcement community. So I want to talk to you about about uh, a company that is doing something that is very, very proactive when it comes down to the safety of our law enforcement officers. It's called OfficerPrivacy.com. And I can't tell you enough about this company because I'm so impressed by it. And uh, Pete James, who is a uh, retired law enforcement officer, created this company, and, and it's very, very unique because here's what it does. It, um, it recognizes that there are threats, unseen threats, out there to law enforcement officers in the guise of what is on the internet about you and your family. I had no idea how much information was out there on the Internet and how easy it was to find my house. Well, that concerns me, okay? And if you're a law enforcement officer or have been, it should concern you too. So what what OfficerPrivacy.com does, they employ nothing but, uh, but current and former police officers. They have figured out a way to scrub the Internet about information about you and they they pointed out to me i mean there were like 36 methodologies of finding out where i lived and vehicles that i owned and things like that and they took it all away it's 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 a lot of work but they know how to do it and it's not expensive so you owe it to yourself you owe it to your family to check out officerprivacy.com these are stellar folks they are true supporters of the law enforcement community and the wounded blue and so i urge you Go check out officerprivacy.com. It's the real deal. And uh, and the folks over there, top notch. Check out officerprivacy.com. Let us, before I bring in our guest again, I want to talk to you about the Wounded Blue. Now, the Wounded Blue is the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, a nationwide charity that's helped more than 14 law enforcement officers in the last five years. The peer advocate support team of the wounded blue is second to none. Every one of those officers that is on the peer team has been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over or faced the greatest challenges of of uh, post-traumatic stress and come out on the other side and they continue to serve in amazing ways. With you've been injured in the line of duty either physically or emotionally and psychologically it's a very very lonely place to be you don't have to walk this journey alone there are people that have been there before you and can guide you and can help you about resources we have amazing resources so i urge you to go to the woundedblue.org and uh look at our facebook page look at our documentary film which is on amazon.com called the, call the wounded blue and reach out if you need help don't wait for something critically bad to happen. Um, you don't have to. There are people that care about you. You know, I often talk about the wounded blue as the fa- the blue family that was always promised to you, but has always kind of been in the shadows. Well, the wounded blue is that blue family. Now, I want to tell you this: September 26 through the 29th in las vegas we are holding the third annual national law enforcement survival summit i guarantee you if you have one training opportunity come to this one it's at the beautiful Ahern hotel in las vegas a boutique hotel i've got colonel dave grossman headlining it i've got dave and betsy smith two of the premier law enforcement trainers in the country i've got a a surprise guest i almost i almost sent his name but I'm not going to, who is uh, one of the most recognizable faces in Hollywood, who is one of the most incredible speakers you'll ever hear. Plus, on Monday night, or excuse me, Tuesday night, the first night of the, of the summit, we've got Vinny Montez, credible comedian, going to be performing. And on the last night, we have a dynamite. Dynamite concert with the number one ACDC band in the country. So um, one thing I believe in as a police trainer is you got to have fun along with the seriousness of the topics. So go to the woundedblue.org, check it out. If you are a, a, uh, a business and you want to sponsor this amazing event, contact me personally. Randy at the wounded blue.org. It's Randy at the wounded blue.org and uh, become part of this amazing, amazing training conference. So go to the wounded blue.org. If you need help, go to the wounded blue.org. If you want to come to the summit and I encourage you to bring your significant other as well. Okay. So let's go back to Nick Wilson. Nick, you've been waiting in the wings.
1: Sure uh i just wanted to echo what you said about dot officerprivacy.com i actually used them when i was a detective and had a green light hit out on me by white supremacists that i was investigating and so um i also wanted to say real quick while listening to you that i am so glad that you recognize law enforcement injuries not just for the physical but for the psychological mental and emotional stuff because it's so critical and it takes people like you to be able to talk about this stuff, the destigmatize mental health issues and law enforcement. So thank you.
0: It, it's, um, it's not only my pleasure, it's my duty to do. And, um, and, and you're on the front lines, too. You're, you're, you're a, a warrior for the, the officers who are in need. And you've created the Resiliency Project. Let's talk about the Resiliency Project um, and why you created it and what it
1: is. Thank you, Randy. Um, so I basically decided that I was going to try to create an organization to provide uh, peer support um, to law enforcement officers who didn't end up in the same position that I did, because in my career, I didn't know how to deal with the traumatic events and the cumulative stress and, uh, and trauma that the law enforcement deal with kind of the stigma, right? So when you're on a SWAT team or you're a detective or you're out there trying to you know, put yourself on patrol. These are things that when I was growing up in the profession, we just didn't talk about, right? You were, you were viewed as weak, you were viewed as uh, less than. And the reality is that, that that's not true, right? We're all humans and we all deal with trauma differently. And we all come to this profession with different levels of resilience and resilience is quintessential for survival. And so when we were not taught, you know, self-care techniques, uh, and we don't talk about mental health because it's so taboo. Um, I thought that uh, trying to get back to a profession that I love so much and miss so much uh, would be my next uh, journey, would be my next uh, path in life. Uh, and so when we started the Resiliency Project, this is when 2020 happened, the world changed. And this is when we started seeing how much politics influenced law enforcement operations hiring the standards the recruitment uh, and everything that you and i both know are so important to the law enforcement community um we started seeing for example with lapd um they have nothing but awesome cops, uh but you know things really changed that under the new leadership there, uh, they're looking for what they're called uh, reform-minded officers. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to be reform-minded. Does that mean when they do your background, they look at your, your voting record, your political association, what you believe? I mean, what does reform-minded mean and how is that really being a service to the community? You look at corrections. Correctional officers right now, who are kind of like, you know, the they're the the bastard children of the law enforcement, the bastard children of law enforcement, right? But they're, they're our first line of defense. They're taking they're in an environment you and I both know where the worst of the worst are being housed, right? <clears throat> there and and the state of California mm-hmm. is um, disciplining correctional officers if they don't pronounce an inmate that is, let's say, transgender, okay? Right now next to me, I've got a police officer who's a former United States Marine who was terminated by his agency in L.A. County because he was not vaccinated. He chose not to be vaccinated for his own, you know, religious beliefs, and we should all be able to respect each other and whatever our belief system is, and he chose not to be vaccinated. He was terminated, and his life was ruined over that. So we have a real problem right now in California. We are definitely, um, when you look at everything, when you look at where the state is going, where most of the major law enforcement agencies are heading in terms of hiring and recruitment, we have a real problem.
0: Well, yeah, let's, let's delve into that a little bit. So, you know, for years now, there has been a concentrated effort by the political I mean I can I, I I until until very very recently I never got involved in in the political discussions at all I didn't I I always felt that hey you know what policing should have no politics Exactly. You know, there there is exactly. there's a, a famous symbol and that symbol is Lady Justice who is a you know exactly. beautiful statue where she is holding up the, the torch of Liberty and she's got a blindfold on. that blindfold is is vitally important to what that symbolizes that, that justice should be blind. shouldn't care about the color of your skin or the religion that, that, that you that you hold dear or the or your sexuality. none, none of that matters. but, but right. now the political left has weaponized itself, Against, basically, public safety, and who's on the front lines of public safety, the law enforcement community. So you are seeing an absolute erosion of the entire criminal justice system by the by the legislature in California. I mean, we're only going to talk about California for the moment, although this is a national issue because that's where you are. That's where you're based, and um, you're seeing it play out over a period of time. And and you know I can't help but think that there's 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 a much bigger there's a much bigger picture here. That that piece by piece, the state legislature is dismantling the criminal justice system through their insane propositions and their and the governor's. Um, and I mean, what he's throwing at the American law or the, the California law enforcement community as well. So, to that end, I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, we could, you and I could talk for hours about this, but I know that, that, that you've never been a politician, you've never been involved in that world, but suddenly you find yourself, well, you're looking at, at how you can possibly change the system. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Randy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all we have is really each other and those that we can count on to get the message out as to what we're struggling with in our state. And you and I have both seen how politics have immersed themselves into a profession where it should never have become a central focus in things. Lady justice is blind, right? And you and I, in our careers, have probably experienced a few bad apples, but it's not representative of the entire law enforcement community. And politicians have capitalized and seized on those moments, where to push an agenda that's not—it's not factually true, right? Um, and so, when you and I continually hear through peer support calls how much politics is impacting their mental health, you know. Uh, you you get to a certain point where you you start to think, like, what's really going on in this state, right? What are they really trying to push from decarceration to trying to abolish law enforcement, to try to dismantle law enforcement agencies, to push different political agendas and use those agendas to create policy that should never be involved in law enforcement whatsoever. And, you know, at least here now in Southern California, where I live, I live in... um, you know, I live in Chino and 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 we're seeing now that uh, Sacramento is pushing an agenda, which is the same agenda that we're seeing in law enforcement. But, but now we're seeing it in our educational institution. Right. Where and, and let, let's, to-
0: wait, let me let me stop you right there for just a moment, because we have now seen the indoctrination of of children. Now taking place over years, and it's very, very clear from from the point of view of a professional law enforcement officer that that indoctrination is a, a huge part of the issue when it comes down to how the perception of law enforcement is being received.
1: Absolutely and perfectly well stated. Uh, we're seeing so. There are there are school di- districts that tout Black Lives Matters. Right. Well, all lives should matter. Right. OK. Um, I, I don't know of and I'm sure you don't know of one police officer that decides that they're going to go out, put themselves in service for a night and just look for someone of a different skin color to go murder. I'm sorry, that is not an, that is just an intellectually dishonest narrative. Uh, but our school teachers' unions, the CTA uh, here in California, has not. Be- it has become a political organization. If they don't care about the 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 magnitude of how education the education system has failed our children, and so all they're pushing is the LGBTQ uh, movement, and they're basically trying to dismantle and degrade the ability for parents to have control over the children's lives. The fight over parental rights right now is under attack. It's under assault. And you and I both know that everything that happens in California typically travels east, right? Whether it's law enforcement or anything else, it typically travels east. So what we're seeing and what we're experiencing is the California State Attorney General, Rob Bonta, has decided that he was going to uh, initiate a civil rights uh, uh, investigation into the Chino Valley School Board District who decided that they were going to take bold action and put parental rights at the forefront. You and I, you know, we we have children. If, if they get a beasting in school, if they're truant, if they're absent, if their grades are low, who do they call? They call the parents, right? Uh, you mean to tell me that if a kid comes out with a significant uh, issue such as you know, identifying as a different gender. The school should be shrouded in secrecy and not tell the parent. And that there is this massive, you know, there is a massive propaganda push right now trying to get people to believe that there are thousands of parents that would push their kids out of their house, not support their children, and that there are 1000s of children right now that are in harm's way. This is the same agenda, Randy. Okay, that is uh, part of the law enforcement defund movement. It is like a it is a Marxist, communist um, push to divide people when we shouldn't be divided on these issues.
0: Alright, so, you know, sometimes we hear that word Marxist communist, And we and we shake our head, going, you know, it's just like old school Soviet Russia. But but here's the here's the the cold hard facts that there truly is a Marxist agenda now at play. There truly there truly is a a, a, from the literally from the handbooks of Marxism and Leninism that is being literally uh, propagated throughout the 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 uh the um educational field this isn't just throwing a label out there and and throwing a you know some fear mongering this is the real deal there truly are ideologues that are pushing a marxist slash communist agenda
1: right now randy and 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 if you want you can you can blur this out okay but i'm sure your viewers Uh, you know, I don't know if this is appropriate to show, but this is, this is a, this is a book right now that they're trying to allow into the school district. And then you have this politician. I don't know how this advances school children or families, but this is the same politician that is trying to advance uh, this kind of We should all be like, we shouldn't care how you live your life. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be bothered by, you know, but, but there's something happening now in our state, the Temecula Valley school district has just been threatened with a massive lawsuit and they pulled out uh, of the, uh, you know, trying to charge the Hill with the policies that they were trying to enact. They backed out now, Chino, is the number one school district in the state who is charging the Hill doing the right thing. And they have just been threatened today with a civil rights lawsuit because, because informing parents somehow is going to uh, endanger thousands of children in this state on such a critical issue. I'm sorry I don't buy it. Uh, We're seeing the same thing with the BLM Antifa movement. Uh, All lives should matter. This has gone so far radical. This should be a nonpartisan issue. Our cops should be advocated for. Public Public safety should be a priority. Crime victims should be given justice. Just like you said, lady justice is blind, right? There's something that in the fundamental rule of law, there is, uh, we all learned, there is equal justice under the law, right? Martin Luther King said that I want to be judged by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. Okay, all these policies, whether it's education or law enforcement, they're being all messed together, and they're degrading our system of jurisprudence. They are degrading our system of law and order, and we are being sent into chaos. While struggling families are trying to put food on the table, uh, we're, we're in trouble. And so who do you call? We call people like you, Randy. <laughs> we call people like the Wounded Blue. We call anyone we can. We're struggling. Um, this is unbelievable that we're actually having to have this conversation right now. Yeah. Why is it that we're having to hire cops <clears throat> that have to either be vaccinated right, or that have to be uh, reform-minded, whatever that even really means. <laughs> when I see unions only put pay, pay pay, and benefits, pay and benefits are important. I mean, our cops should be paid millions, not the football players and F- NFL players and, and National uh, Basketball League players. They shouldn't be paid the millions. It should be our cops. It should be those that they risk of lives every single day. But the unions, many of them, say... say um, they become social justice type of unions. And when I'm told, I'm just a founder of a small nonprofit organization, right? Who the hell am I? But when I see in my community that all these issues now are in the hands of families that are that where there's nepotism who have had years and years of voting records that have not advanced the community but to have divided the community i say to myself what else am i supposed to do other than to you know maybe even consider jumping into the fight and running for local office how else do you change things that, it can't you, be done through an instagram account
0: you're 100 percent right and and i applaud you for even considering because it, it is a selfless thing to do it is you're 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 contemplating something that will be um incredibly challenging physically psychologically emotionally and also opening yourself up to the the incredible evilness that's on the left who will do everything in their power to destroy you so Unfortunately, this is my belief, and that's what my new book is about, is that if we don't stand up, if we don't unite, if if the silent majority doesn't get off their asses and say enough is enough, we're going to continue to see the degradation of our nation. And uh, California is a perfect example of that so we've just got a couple minutes left how can uh people contact you reference if they want to bring you on as an instructor for resiliency or they want to ask you questions about your possibility of candidacy
1: randy thank you so much so uh the nonprofit organization is uh our our social media is the underscore resiliency project um our website is www.theresiliencyproject.info. Uh, our business for training consulting is njwresilientconsulting.info. Uh, and I will be making a decision very shortly as to whether or not I decide to run and put my, my hat in the ring here. But I just, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for your intestinal fortitude. Um, I've had conversations in the last week with very prominent union leaders in the law enforcement community who have tried to tell me not to run uh, and who have told me that if I ever was elected office that I would have to vote on things that go against my moral code. And I think that that's what the problem is in this state and around the country, that's not who I am. I think you and I and and people that are like-minded want to see law and order and fairness and equality without a radical push that tries to divide people uh, so I just I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on your show on issues that are so important
0: my pleasure to have you and thanks Nick Wilson um, I uh, I wish you nothing but the best and uh, and I appreciate you to come taking the time to come on the wounded blue hour thank you sir well, as we come to a close, I'm going to ask you again to go to TheWoundedBlue.org, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Officers. I would like you to play a role. I'd like you to go to that Donate button and hit it and say, you know what, I'm going to donate 10 bucks a month, 15 20 whatever you can afford. It's Starbucks money, literally. Actually, it's not even that. It's smaller than that. But these men and women need your help. And I can't do it alone. This organization counts on people like you, people that care about their law enforcement community, about their officers. And uh, I can tell you that the, the, the money that you uh, that you give to the Wounded Blue goes directly into operations that helps uh, police officers around the country. If you're a law enforcement officer and you need help, go to the woundedblue.org and reach out. And uh, if you're a cop or have been a cop, check out the third annual national law enforcement survival summit in las vegas august 26th through the 29th and hopefully i will see you there randy sutton for the wounded blue thank you stay safe